So this morning, um, as we're thinking through last week's message in our Advent series, I want to really like focus in here. Um, one of the things that we're looking at, last week we looked at the topic of what? Can anybody recall? Hope, that's right. Our hope being in Christ, the person of Christ. So this week, we're going to be looking at the topic of joy. And I want to go back and I'm going to light this candle right here that represents the candle of joy. Hopefully it'll light. And I want to read the same passage that we concluded with last week um, from Romans 15, verse 13. It says this, May the God of hope, which again, I think that points back to this idea of Christ and, and the Lord himself, being the object of hope. It's not just this thing that we muster up in ourselves. Hope is about who our object of hope is, okay? So if, it, if it's about us, like, stirring it up, well, we're going to be miserable. We're never going to achieve hope. We're never going to find it secure. But when our hope is in the object, the person of Christ, and all that he has done on our behalf, that is sure. So here we hear that again. May the God of hope, then listen to what happens here. Fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. So this morning, we're going to be talking, and I think it's interesting that this passage in Romans hits all of these topics, and we're going to be talking about the, the, the um, importance of joy and what that joy looks like. So let's pray together as we get ready to focus in on the message. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this worship this morning that, that has also celebrated the joy that we have in Christ. Lord, and I think about uh, the, the, the songs uh, themselves, joy to the world, this idea of receiving a blessing uh, as we sing about the joy of Christ being with us, uh, that is that call and bestowal of that benediction in a sense. Lord, we know that joy is not going to be ours unless we are in relationship with Christ. But Lord, we also know that there's times in our lives, even though we may possess a relationship with Christ, that that joy can like be inhibited in a way. And so, Lord, this morning, what I pray is that as we look towards Christ and the celebration of his, his birth, Lord, that our, you would use this time to prepare our hearts with the topic of joy. And so, Lord, I, I ask that you give me clarity as I speak. Give me, each of us, clarity in our thinking. Lord, I pray that your spirit would move so that we are encouraged by this topic of joy uh, and how it points to Christ himself. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. So, Take your Bibles, and I want to ask you to turn to the book of Isaiah first, because um, I've, I've read what we've looked at in Romans 15 the last couple weeks, and I want us to, as you're, you're getting to Isaiah, I want to make a few comments about this topic of joy before we read our text. And first is, is this, when we see that uh, the joy that, that Paul is talking about in Romans, and I think it's the joy that we see in Scripture itself. This is a spiritual joy. Now, now that, that's an important point to note because I think a lot of times in our lives, we're not looking for joy in spiritual things. We're looking for joy in tangible things. And, and I'm not saying that the spiritual life is not tangible. Don't, don't hear me say that because certainly spiritual things have tangible impact in our lives. But if we're looking for joy in the things of this world, the things that are temporal we're not going to find fullness there. They're going to move past us. We're going to move through seasons where those things, uh, what were joyous, are no longer part of our lives. 
Um, I, I was talking to Juliana this week a, a little bit. Um, she, was, she was like, Dad, did you play sports growing up? And I was like, yeah, I think I played about every sport there was under the sun at some point in my life. Now, I think the only thing I probably haven't played legitimately, well, I say that, cricket and rugby come to mind like right away. Um, I played street hockey as a youth pastor when, when rollerblades came out. Um, I played football. I played bas- ba- basketball, baseball. Um, I, I swam when I was real little. I'm on a swim team. Um, I th- the only thing, I, I haven't tried ice hockey. I can ice skate. Um, so, so it was interesting to hear Juliana talk about, like, ask me, you know, what did I do? And I think back to uh, all of those things that gave me tons of joy as I, I played those sports. I don't play any of them anymore. I, I don't, I mean, I can, I can do them, but I just, that's not the priority of my life. And so the, the, what my point is, is those things that often give us joy are those things that we actually set aside at some point or some season of our life, and they're not those things that give us joy. But spiritual joy is totally different than that. Spiritual joy is eternal. It it, it supersedes all of those kind of circumstances in life when we're walking right with the Lord. And so here's what I want to remind you of, a couple things. So what does spiritual joy consist of? When we think about spiritual joy, we need to know what it really consists of. So first of all, it consists of a covenant relationship with the Lord. If it doesn't begin there, then spiritual joy is just something that's like, it's a concept, but it's not relational. And we need a covenant relationship that comes through us knowing Jesus Christ as our Savior. Um, By the way, can I share about your kids, Pfizer's? Okay. Um, I, I am so thrilled for the Pfizer family. Uh, they've actually been in a, a lengthy transition to our church in some ways, even though they've been visiting uh, just about, what, three months now, something like that consistently, maybe a little more. Um, but, but one of the beautiful things that's happened is both Ava Kate and Aiden, within the last three weeks now, I think it's about right, it's been a month. Okay, it's been a month. It's probably three weeks since I met with them, about a week after that. Um, but both of them uh, have accepted Christ as their Savior. And so Tony and um, Mandy are talking to their family right now about a time that we're going to get to baptize them, um, and it's actually going to be Tony who gets that privilege uh, of baptizing them here at the church. And so we're looking at that date sometime in January. Um, and so that's, that's just incredible to me because that, that is a reminder. If we don't have a relationship with Christ, we don't truly know joy. And, and so the spiritual joy that we're talking about this morning begins with that understanding of Christ as our Savior, a surrender of our lives to Him. And when we also, uh, part of this is when we get to understand and experience the fruit of what the Spirit produces in us. See, that, that's part of the spiritual joy because the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience. So, so when we think about what Christ has done, what the Father has done, planning the, the, the perfect perfect plan of salvation, Christ fulfilling that, the Holy Spirit bringing it to fruition, and then the fruit of the Spirit continuing to work that out. It's obvious a spiritual pattern that that increases this joy in us. Um, Also, I think about this, about spiritual joy. It comes through us knowing the doctrines of Scripture. And and I think, unfortunately, we live in a day and age where people don't want to to focus in on the doctrines of Scripture well. We, We want the 
I think the, the, ch- the church as a whole, typically, especially in, in American culture, and I think in some other cultures, there's this tendency for experience to be what fuels people's joy in the Lord. And not that experience is wrong or bad, but if experience is not grounded or rooted in the doctrines of the scriptures, in healthy, sound doctrine, then those experiences can actually be founded on wrong things. And so we need to make sure that the the experiences we engage in echo what scriptures teach. And so the the doctrines uh, of scripture are important to establish our joy. And then also this, this may sound a little bit um, strange, but joy also comes amidst the various afflictions and tribulations that we experience. You say, what? what? How, did, how does joy come through tribulations or, or afflictions or struggles that we experience? Well, we know scripturally, and this is why doctrine is essential, when we experience those trials and struggles and the tribulations, what do those things produce? They produce joy in us because we're seeing the Holy Spirit transform us into the likeness of Christ as we experience those things. Because oftentimes, those things do two things. One, it's the, or one of two things. They'll either produce a discipline in us that the Lord is trying to disciple us and reshape us into His character and His image. Or those tribulations will uh, provide an opportunity for us just to grow in character. So, so that they produce perseverance, and perseverance produces character and character, furthermore, hope. And, and all of that relates together for our joy in the Lord and spiritual things. And so when we think about this, and this is where we're coming back to Romans 15 real quickly. You don't have to turn there. But one of the things that Paul talks about is he wants the fullness of our joy to increase as we uh, hope in the Lord. So, so that presented me another question. Why do we not experience the fullness of joy upon salvation and have that like all of the time? Well, it, it, it reminded me of a couple things that we've talked about, and I want to make, um, hopefully make these things short and, or brief and clear. The first is a lot of times our sin nature, we're still struggling with that sin nature. And so when that sin nature flares up, what happens is our walk with the Lord is somewhat interrupted. And so that joy it gets into conflict with the sin nature, and, and joy is actually interrupted. Our joy in the Lord is interrupted by that sin. Second, I think it's uh, in, interrupted by temptations that we fight. Sometimes those can be from our own flesh, just by who we are. Sometimes I think the enemy can put, put us in an environment where that, those temptations increase, and that environment is a struggle, and, and our joy is competing with the, 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 stri- the trials or struggles we're facing in the midst of those, those moments where temptation is combating us. And so we have to be spiritually sensitive to understand that we can't let those either sin nature or that, that temptation interrupt our joy. And then the, the third way I think that our joy is interrupted is because oftentimes we end up just disobeying the Lord. And when we disobey the Lord, what we end up is removing ourselves from His presence. And when we remove ourselves from His presence, the joy of the Lord is lost. And that would be like one of those, those I think, maybe the saddest place we could end up. Because we, in, in those moments where we're distancing ourselves from the presence of the Lord, it's almost as if we're moving towards a hardened heart. And He'll let us do that. 
He will allow that so our consequences of sin and the struggles with temptation, we end up recognizing our desperate need for Him. So, despite all those things, and here's the, the good news for us, what Paul says and what he's praying for the believers in Rome, and I think this, this transcends to the same prayer that we ought to be praying today for one another, is that our spiritual joy would increase to fullness of joy in the Lord. So, how do we increase that joy? Well, I think it begins with this, and if I could give you like this principle, and then we're going to jump into Isaiah here. I think it begins as we discover or rediscover or renew our understanding of God's love for us. It's simple, but, but it means that we go back to the Scripture and we continue to look through this lens that says, how does, how does God's love impact us? How does He reveal it? How does He show us His grace and His mercy? I was, I think it was the, the Pfizer's, we were talking about this, um, this last week, and, and Michael too when we were there, but th- this reminds me of, of Romans chapter 2 verse 4, uh, where the Lord says, or Paul, through Paul, that it's his kindness that leads to repentance. And, and I think that's often a misconception with some folks, that, that they think they have to preach or teach or focus in on uh, people being converted by sharing this uh, hell and brim, uh, hell, hellfire and brimstone kind of message that you're doomed because you're a sinner. You're doomed for the for hell. Well, that's true, and I think we need to share that with people rightly. But we also, if we if we don't couple that with an understanding of the Lord's mercy and His grace and His kindness, then we're going to fail to show them how it's the Lord's love that actually leads to repentance. And, and so it, it needs to be a message of both of these things. That, that restore a love relationship with the Lord and reveal that love so that we understand His kindness, and that brings us joy. So here's, here's where we're going to go now. It's Isaiah chapter 9, and we're going to be in verses 1 through 7. We're gonna, uh, this is one of those passages that, to me, is a, a familiar Christmas passage because it deals with a prophecy about Christ's birth. Um, but I want to go back and set just a little bit of context in this. If, you, if you're not very familiar with Isaiah or if you're familiar enough, um, I, hopefully this will just still help to orient you on what's happening in, in Isaiah. Uh, the, the, the nation of Israel has grown very cold towards the Lord. They're in re- a season of rebellion, like similar to some of those things that we've talked about. So much here, one of the indictments against them is they had been rebellious to the point that the Lord was removing his hand from them and giving them a season of great discipline under uh, captivity and a dark season. Here's some of the things that they were engaged in. They were actually pursuing fortune tellers. So instead of consulting the Lord on things in their life, they were going to secular fortune tellers. They had alliances with foreign, nation, foreign nations. They were dependent on sec- these, these foreign nations and secular entities, if you will, to provide their, for their needs. And ultimately, they were looking at unholy things as those uh, things that they were matters that they were investing their life in, rather, and this is the important part, rather than a dependence on God. So, so the Lord was being supplanted by all of these other things, And the Israelites were desperate. And the Lord was saying to them, look, if this is what you want, I'm going to remove my hand of of sovereign protection and providence. Uh, The providence in in your life is going to look like this. I'm going to let you see the end of these things. I'm going to let you 
uh, see how darkness feels. And what that darkness is going to produce a different or distinct nature in your life that is going to cause you to long for, for the things uh, that point to me. So that's, that's the heart of what's going on. So let's look at Isaiah chapter 9, but I want to give you a couple key verses. So let's go back to 8 verses 20 through 22 to start with, okay? So, so the Lord is speaking through Isaiah, and He says here in 8.20, to the teaching and to the testimony, if they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. Now, I want to pause here for just a second. The Lord's saying, I'm giving you this teaching, this testimony, but if they, if the people don't hear it, listen to the, the depiction, it is because they have no dawn. Folks, I, 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 I'll be honest, I don't like the, 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 the time change stuff that we go through in the winter months. I, I got out of the car Wednesday night, I had to take, um, last Wednesday I had to, to take Juliana um, someplace to the doctor, um, and I got out of sitting in the doctor's office, and we got out, and it was, it was dark. Like, there was an, another day I worked um, in the office, and, you know, you walk into this building that has no windows. By the way, we're not a cult just because we have no windows. That, that's, people said that. We, we are fine. Um, so, so I, I hate walking out of my office, and then it's like, oh, it was light, and then I come out, and it's totally dark. There's like this total change, especially it's early. And so Wednesday night when I came in, it's like walking down the, the dark sidewalk, and it's just like, I just remember that. I hate it. I just hate it. And I can't imagine what it would feel like to not have the hope of dawn every morning. Even if it's obscured by storm clouds or fog or some kind of gray sky, there's still a hope that I know there's a dawn. And, and so what the Lord is saying through Isaiah here metaphorically is the people were living, their existence was spiritually as if they had no dawn because they, had, they were so rebellious, because their ways were so directed against the ways of operating it within the laws and the commands and the, 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 the direction of the Lord. That's bleak. Do you, do you understand that now? Okay, so let's keep reading verse 21. They will pass through land. Here's the metaphor it continues, or the picture it continues. Greatly distressed. And hungry. So, so this farm metaphor that, that Isaiah is using, like this, or this horticulture metaphor, is, think about this. If there's no dawn, what happens to the crops and the produce of the land? It can't grow. It dies. <laughs> so the people, it's like this picture of not just the famine. They are disastrously hungry. There's no hope for them. And then with the no hope of food and this circumstance, there certainly can't be joy in their life. So, so the Lord is painting this bleak picture, and let's keep going, okay? So he says, verse, finish this up and, and, in verse 21, and when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. It's like, God, what have you done? We're hungry. We're desperate. This is a, a, these are desperate days. Why are you doing this? Whose fault is it? The Lord is, is only responding and, and engaging with them according to their rebellion. He's wanting them to relent, uh, to turn from their, their, their despicable ways and repent and turn to Him. 
because he wants to provide. So let's finish verse 22. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish. Boy, this is a dark, bleak picture, isn't it? It, it, it is like so miserable. I, I can't imagine living, living in that kind of circumstance. And listen to this, last statement. And they will be thrust into thick darkness. That, that is the context of the prophecy of Isaiah 9. We cannot, we could, we skip over that. But I think knowing that context helps us to understand why the prophecy is so important and what it so distinctly offers people walking in spiritual darkness and, and without hope and without joy. So now, let's read verses nine, or chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. That ought to like ring a bell with you right now. As you're, we're thinking about this season of Christmas where Jesus goes to after coming back from his time in Egypt, he goes to where? Galilee. That's where he's raised. So this prophecy is pointing to Jesus moving back to that place and taking away the anguish. Now, in, in my translation, I'm using the ESV. If you look at the end of verse 1, we've talked about this recently. Um, it says at the end, the galley of the nations. And then I have this little footnote right there. The number 8 is what it is in my text. Does that match anybody else's? Some Okay, Ava Kate, thank you. You're with me. You got the best Bible on the face of the planet, young lady. No, I'm teasing. Um, if, you, if you have a good Bible, it's a good Bible, okay? <laughs> Y'all know I'm being silly. So if you don't have a footnote in that, I want to encourage you, find a, book, a footnote or a Bible that has the footnotes and cross-references in them so you have some stronger Bible study habits. By the way, Gene, I'm going to make a commercial right now. So starting sometime in January... For the, the youth ministry, um, we are going to have a how to study the Bible well course. It's going to be somewhere between eight to ten weeks. It's going to focus in some principles for our youth, and it's going to be on Wednesday nights. But here's the, the good news. It's going to be like age graded in some ways. So if you're not a youth, grades 6th through 12th grade, you can still come in and we're going to have activities uh, that are going to be like graded for your level of understanding about literature and some of those things. So it's going to be designed to help all of us have better Bible study habits. So we're going to be talking about context, how to, how to uh, like different types of genre and scripture, how to work through passages, and then what we're going to do, you're not going to have homework, congratulations. You're going to, we're going to have workshop moments in that time for you to apply these things, and then we're going to like bring it back together and from the small group age graded, and then so... Adults, you'll learn some things from the students and their creativity and their perspectives. And students, you'll learn some things from older adults. So it doesn't matter what age you are, you need to be part of that time if you want better Bible study habits, okay? So it promises to be good. We don't know the exact start date, but we'll give you that. So back to the cross-reference here, verse 8, or the footnote. Verse 8, it says, Galilee of the nations in the main text, but if you look down, 
it says, or the Gentiles. Y'all are with me. So what's interesting about this, last week we, we saw the same focus on the prophecies that we looked at. And what was the focus in that? That the good news of Jesus Christ did not just come to the Jews. The plan of God was to rescue us Gentiles as well. Every one of us ought to pause and go, thank the Lord for his perfect plan that has always included us. Both Old Testament and New Testament point to that fact. We are included in the prophecies and the promises of salvation. Good, good news. Good news. So, let's keep going. Verse 2. The people who walked in darkness. See, this goes back to chapter 8. And and we get a little bit of better understanding, having seen what that darkness really looked like, or the description of how, how desperate the people were in that deep darkness and gloom. The people who walked in darkness, they have seen a great light. You get the imagery, right? No longer is there just darkness. There is a great light. It's not just like the little, like I've, I've talked about this at, in my doctoral work. People are like, how far are you? How far are you? There was a point where I was like, it's a pinhole of light, like at the end of the, you know, the tunnel. It's a flashlight. Man, the train light is right in here. This is a great light. It's dispelling the darkness. Those who, let's keep going. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. Whoo! Good news. Now, what is this light? Let's keep reading. Verse 3, you have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. You you hear what, what the God of hope is doing? He is not just giving them hope. He is taking that hope and he's producing something that impacts them on an ongoing basis. It is a spiritual joy. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you. How? As with joy at the harvest. So here's the picture. Imagine the darkness. The people are hungry and distressed. We, we hear them as if they're shaking their fists at, at the Lord saying, you've left us in this state of decay. We are hungry. We're desperate. But now what are they doing? The light has come and there's joy as if the harvest is before them. What was so almost miraculous to me is there's this sense that when we think about the, the whole horticulture metaphor, okay, or agriculture and the, the economy of that, we know that when you, what you plant, what you sow, has to take a season to germinate, to be watered, to have the sunlight, and to experience the growth until after a, another basic season, it finally, the fruit comes to a point where it can be harvested. That, that takes tons of time. I think the metaphor plays out, certainly, that Jesus came in the proper time, in the fullness of time, according to Ephesians 1. But at the same time, it's dispelled just like that. And personally, for us, when we come to to Christ, when we surrender our lives to Him, it's dispelled like that. Because it doesn't take this, like, long transition for us just to simply trust Jesus Christ as our Savior and to repent of our sin. And to call upon Him as Lord, surrendering our lives to His Lordship. The darkness is dispelled immediately. And I don't know if you experienced that, but I certainly did. I know there was a journey in some ways. But when I surrendered my life to Christ as Lord and Savior, the darkness was dispelled. And the harvest 
of joy was upon me. And that's the picture we get, as if immediately, because of Christ's presence, the darkness is dispelled, joy is theirs. So they rejoice as with joy at the harvest. And keep reading in verse 3. As they are glad when they divide the spoil. I love that image. It's not just like they went to the table and there was just enough to get people fed. They divided the spoil. There was an abundance. What did Paul pray for the church? A fullness of joy. It was not limited in any scope for the people. When we find or discover our spiritual joy in Christ, there's an abundance. And that abundance is ours to share with others, to direct people towards that same joy. Let's keep reading in verse 4. For the yoke of his burden, the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. Sin no longer rules. The, the oppression, the tribulation, the struggles, they no longer rule because Christ now rules. That is phenomenal news for us. Look at verse 5. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle, tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. The, the fighting is over. It's settled. It is put in the past. We will have no more need to battle those physical things any longer. Victory is ours. Look at verse 6. And this is where it gets so powerful. What is the result of this, or, or the, what is the, 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 uh, the, the source of this? It is this, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So there's so much more we can unpack, and I, I don't want to take tons of time to do it, but I want to make a couple more comments. First of all, when we look at this picture here in, in verses 6 through 7, we have this picture for to us a child is born and to us a son is given. Do not let this be lost this morning. The idea of Jesus being born is a promise and a, a prophecy and a depiction of the physical birth, the incarnation, that Jesus Christ took on human, the human nature in flesh in his person. That is a huge point to recognize. Then the other part of this, so first of all, to the child is born, and then to us what? A son is given. The son being given is the divine son being presented in his full divinity. So it is Jesus being fully God, given by his heavenly Father. So we see this lining up so carefully with those New Testament places where we see Jesus as fully God and fully man. 
We need to recognize that. And that's why this prophecy is so significant. But also, it's significant in this sense. Because what were the people consistently, the Israelites consistently looking for in a king? They were looking for a conquering king who would rule in that temporal time frame, one who would overcome any of the, the enemies that they had. We see that in David's day. We see that in the time of Jesus. It just continues for hundreds of years. And what do we see here that's depicted in verse 7? Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. So the kingdom that this child, the, one, the son given, provides is one that will have no end. This can only point to a future king. It's not going to be one of the line of David. It's not going to be, oh, well, I'm sorry, not one of the physical line of David in the sense of his offspring only, okay? It has to be fulfilled by an eternal king. It is in the line of David, but it's a different line because of the divine side. So look at on the throne of David, the second part, on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth. And then here's the key, forevermore. There was no earthly king that could accomplish that through David's line until the arrival of Jesus Christ. And so what did Jesus Christ through his birth provide us? Joy. Spiritual joy to overcome every physical, spiritual struggle that we could ever face. And then I love this, the last line. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now, now youth that were here Wednesday night, you'll remember me talking about this name of the Lord right here. If you notice, it's in all caps, right? What does that signify, students? You remember? The personal name of God, okay? I am Yahweh. I think a better pronunciation is Yahweh, but we'll not get into that today other than you hear me say it. So, here we have this idea that the zeal of the, the Godhead, the person of God, will accomplish this. It, it, to me, it's pointing to the entire plan that has been established before the foundation of the world for our salvation, for our hope, for our joy to be secure in Christ. So, what do we do then? If this is, if this is the joy that's provided for us in Christ, and, and, and I would venture that most of y'all here are like, yeah, that's, that's all good and, and that's all well. We've heard some of these things. It's certainly good for us to hear this, this message at this time of year and to focus in on these prophecies. But I want to shape a couple things a little differently this morning. And so I want to ask basically this question, how do we acquire such joy? And, and I want to make it clear as I say this, first and foremost, it happens through salvation, through trusting in Christ. If you even go back, and we're going to talk about faith next week, okay? Um, but if you go back to Romans 15, 13, it talks about us believing in these things, in the Lord, this God of hope, okay? So that, that idea of faith is central to this. It's central to every aspect. But I want to qualify it in this way. There's also a responsibility on our part. The Lord always has used people for the accomplishments of His purpose. He doesn't just spiral things into motion and not utilize us. So what does the utilization of His people require? 
Well, I want to go back to this idea of the harvest. Because even in the, the Old Testament sense, the message that the Lord is, is presenting to the, the Israelites and then even to the Gentile nations through this comes through the prophet Isaiah. He's using one of his people. So where does it begin with us as believers engaging rightly with the Lord? Well, I think we are responsible for a couple of things. First is this. As we operate in the, the harvest, one of the first things that we can do is contribute to the work that the Lord is doing with our prayers. Our prayers for lost people and for one another are essential in the Lord's economy. Now, now can I explain all of that? I, I'll be honest, I can't. I can't because I think the Lord, does He require those things? No, certainly He doesn't. But does He require those things? Yes, certainly He does. It's His economy to use us. He calls us to be responsible to pray. He calls us to be responsible to engage in the work of sowing seeds. And part of our, our responsibility in that sowing work is to pray for the lost, to pray that their hearts will be softened, that the Lord would break up the fallowed ground of their hearts, that they might respond to the gospel. Are you doing that? I've continued to, to, to hit this point for our church. If we don't pray for the lost, how will we be ready to engage with them when the time comes to share the word? I, I think prayer one, it is the Lord's like angle to respond to us in that way, and that's mysterious in some major ways to me, but he does. And it's also to shape our hearts so that when he calls us to share the good news, we are sensitive to that and we are ready. Because often prayer is not so much us getting the Lord to do our will, but it's us really more so aligning with his will. So our prayers are often, that to me, that part of the process. I don't know if you're like me in this, but I think I have this idea, but then the Lord begins to shape the ideas more to his will in my life. So I'm, I'm constantly changing to align with Him. And so I'm being ready to, to engage with His work differently. So praying for the loss is a huge part of that. Praying for one another's sanctification is essential. Because I go back to the metaphor. If the Lord is presenting like the, the, har the fruit of the harvest to us, what did it say that the Israelites did when that harvest came? Go back and look. It says that they, um, what, they, they in verse, where was it? I'm trying to find it. If you find it, help me. Three. Thank you. They were glad and then they divided the spoil. That's what I was looking for. Y'all read my mind. They divided the spoil. It's not me hoarding the spoil. It's me dividing the spoil with the people of God. So it's us in our sanctification, praying for one another, encouraging one another, sharing what is hopeful and what is providing us with an ongoing fullness of the joy that is ours in the Lord. So, so that is our responsibility together. Can I, I'm going to tip this. Michael and I haven't talked about this, so it may change. But one of the things that I want to do Christmas morning when we gather for worship, 
I don't want this to be the, the, the Michael and Matt elder show and us to be the, the, the figures talking up front, okay? Now, I don't know what this looks like yet, but we're going to kind of do like a half circle kind of thing. Um, the Lord's starting to give me some clarity of vision on this, and I hope it's going to be a really, really sweet time. But I want us to focus in together and us share what, what is the glory and hope of Christ and the joy of Christ doing in our lives together? How, how can we share that together on Christmas morning? So, so it's not just the two of us, like, directing things. Certainly we want to organize and provide some structure and foster a healthy environment. But we want to hear from you. That, that's my heart, and I feel like what the Lord's doing. So I'm sharing that to say this, don't let that intimidate you, because I know some folks don't like to share in groups, I get it, but I do want you to do this, pray, pray, Lord, how would you help me to divide the spoil? That which I've experienced walking from gloom and darkness into the great light, how has that transformed me that I might encourage the sanctification of my fellow church members, of folks that have gathered this morning to celebrate the day of Jesus Christ's birth. Here's the other thing. This will bring us back full round to some things and why I know I told you all I wasn't going to share, and then I thought, you know what? I need to share this this morning. I'm pointing to the Pfizer's here. Um, because us gathering to celebrate the ordinances when we celebrate membership, that's part of, I think, an ordinance, and it points to us being in community together, celebrating the Lord's um, Supper together is an ordinance by which we practice and remind one another of the great truth of salvation, and then also baptism, as Tony gets to come and baptize his kids. That's a celebration of the ordinance. And so when we do these things together, we're infusing and encouraging a fullness of joy. And so it's, it's operating in a healthy community together. It, it's essential for us. So, so it's not just enough for us to, and don't take this the wrong way, but, but don't just walk in on a Sunday morning and like find your seat and then exit out without engaging in relationships with someone, without walking through these kind of truths so that you are strengthened and encouraged. If that's all you're doing, your fellowship is going to leave you lackluster, lacking the great light that comes as we share, as we divide the spoil of what God has wired us to do so that we experience the fullness of His joy. So first, we pray. Second, I think it is these, these ideas, and if if we look at this, and, and this is what, and all throughout the, the Old Testament, it's this idea, and, and, and I think this becomes, I'm, I'm, there's a lot flowing in my head right now, but it's the idea that we are um, members of the household of God, saint. Is, is, we talk about the sainthood or the priesthood of the believer. That's the term I was looking for, the priesthood of the believer. That we operate because Jesus is now our high priest. We don't operate with, depending on an earthly priest, we instead operate together as the priest to one another. And, and so as we celebrate and as we worship, that's essential for our health, for us to have our joy increased. And then third, and I mentioned this, all of these things that, that we participate in together, 
here's what, here's what I want you to remember. These offer us, in a sense, a fresh supply of God's grace and mercy. Have, have you ever been in one of those places, you're just like really, really struggling, and then like you're, maybe you're struggling spiritually, maybe you're struggling with circumstances in life and just feeling overwhelmed, and then inevitably, the Lord provides that one person who comes along and shares or does something, and you're like, I, I had no idea I didn't even needed that. And, and all of a sudden, it's like, you're, you're like spiritually, like not fixed, but it like shapes you and turns you just in the right direction to go, oh, there's the joy, there's the hope, and, and I'm, I'm walking in that renewed place again. That's what we need together as the body. We need to be pointing one another through the new, the, the works of grace that we're experiencing and operating in that way together so that we find that encouragement, that joy, so that we can rejoice in the work that God is doing in our lives. Now, where does all of this come from? I want to go back to this passage real quickly because if, if we don't, I think we miss out on this. Let's go back to verse 6 and 7, okay? This is, this is all sourced where, by whom, is from God our Father through Jesus Christ, who is born of the Virgin Mary, given to us as the eternal Son of God. So it says this, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And I love this picture because it talks, this, this points out the incredible authority of Christ. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. He's doing this in us. Let this be a, a season where we focus in on how to prepare one another with the hope of Christ, sharing the joy of Christ so that our joy together increases in Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. Lord, this morning, as we think about the covenant relationship that we have that is, a, is secured only through the finished, complete work of Jesus through his obedience, we celebrate that. And that could, have, could not have been accomplished had, had you not perfectly planned for him to have been born uh, of the Virgin Mary, actually in the line of David, and then also given him fully divine as your son. So we recognize, recognize the, the wonder of the incarnation, of Jesus being both man and God. And Lord, because of his work and because of his obedience to, to suffer and endure our shame, to bear our sin upon the cross and to die and be buried and to rise again, Lord, he has secured victory for us. And we don't have to walk in the darkness or the gloom or the thickness of despair. But instead, Jesus is the great light. So Lord, let us walk in that truth. Let us focus on that truth. Let us pray for one another with that truth in mind so that 
we would be encouraged and strengthened. Lord, especially in this season, Lord, it's an, it's an, there's a, a tremendous opportunity for us to bear witness to the glory of your plan. So Lord, we pray that we would be a church body that does that very thing, that we would share the hope of the good news of Jesus Christ with those who are lost, and we would celebrate the hope that we have together as believers so that the fullness of our joy would increase. Lord, help us to walk in accountability so that sin and the ways of this world and the things that easily distract us would not overtake us, but instead we would focus on the, the joy of the harvest and we would divide that spoil with one another. So, Father, today we, we say this in conclusion of the service, that we love you. We thank you for your son, we pray that we would bless his name as we go from this place and connecting communities, changing lives by sharing the, the love and good news of Jesus Christ with others. For it's in, for his, in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, I trust that you'll have a great Sunday afternoon. Uh, pray for the elders and deacons. We do have a meeting this afternoon. Uh, so please... Just, if you will, think about us as we need wisdom and discernment about the things we're uh, thinking about. Please make sure to get by and greet the Pfizers uh, and let them know how personally excited you are for them joining the church. And uh, we hope to see you next Sunday, Youth Wednesday night, uh, same bat time, same bat channel, all right? Have a great Sunday afternoon.